This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed, your weekly hour of mystery, crime, and detective stories from the golden age of radio. Our first story this week is from Murder by Experts. We'll hear Summer Heat from June 13th, 1949. After that, it's Gangbusters and the case of the Alcatraz Prison Riot. That one aired May 11th, 1946. Murder by Experts The Mutual Broadcasting System presents Murder by Experts with your host and narrator, Mr. John Dixon Carr, world-famous mystery novelist and author of the recently published bestseller, The Life of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This is John Dixon Carr. Each evening at this time, Murder by Experts brings you a story of crime and mystery which has been chosen for your approval by one of the world's leading detective writers, those experts who are themselves masters of the art of murder and can hold tensity at its highest. Tonight's guest expert is Mr. Hugh Pentecost, author of many memorable thrillers, who has selected a story by a young newcomer you'll do well to watch, Andrew Evans. Be very careful as you listen, for, as Mr. Pentecost says of this thriller, the story has not only a twist, but an unforeseen double twist, which takes one completely by surprise. And now we present Summer Heat. Look now at the old elm the ivy-covered buildings on the campus of a small Midwestern university. It's a fine June afternoon when you hear laughter and the greetings of the reunion of the class of 36. Twelve years have passed. None of the members of the class seems much older to each other. There's the dark-haired Paul Baxter wandering rather strangely. There are two of his old friends, prosperous now, Judged by their clothes and boisterous in greeting. Paul! Paul Baxter! You old rascal! It's sure good to see you again. Oh, hello, Steve. Bert, this is a surprise. Why don't you have a right to us, Paul? You had our addresses. Why, sure. That's no way to treat old classmates. Just think, 12 years. Oh, they sure have gone fast. Too fast to suit me. Say, Paul, you've turned awful gray for only 33. Well, he always did take things too seriously. I suppose by now, Paul, you're one of the biggest lawyers in the state, huh? How's Marsha? Yeah, you were all set to marry her after graduation, remember? Yes, and you were going to become her father's junior law partner. Oh, you sure had a sweet setup there. <laughs> well, uh, things worked out a, a little differently. You see, that party we had graduation night... Do you remember it? Remember it? <laughs> How can we forget it? <laughs> oh, that was a real blowout. And <laughs> were you tight, Paul? You know, that party uh, sort of changed my whole life. Changed your life? 
Well, how? Well, I, uh, I, I don't remember much about the party itself. I, I guess I had too many drinks. In fact, I, I don't remember anything until I woke up the next morning. I could hear old Trinity ringing. I awoke to find myself on the couch in my living room. It was noon. And the room was hot. Stiflingly hot. I remembered I had a date with Marcia and her father at one o'clock. I got to my feet. My head ached. There were heat waves before my eyes. Feeling sick, I staggered toward my bedroom and... Then I saw him. A man. Asleep on my bed, his back to me. For a moment, I stood there trying to remember if someone had come home from the party with me. But the night before was a total blank. I crossed to the bed, bent over, shook his shoulder. Hey, fella. Hey, it's noon. Wake up. Come on, wake up. I shook him. He had flopped over and looked up at me with staring eyes. He was dead. And there was a knife in his chest. My hunting knife. I stood stunned, staring down at the body on my bed. The dead man was an utter stranger to me. He was neatly dressed in old clothes. And my knife, my knife was in his heart. I killed him. I couldn't remember when or how or why, but I'd killed him. Frantically, I, I tried to remember what had happened. Was he a panhandler? Someone I'd met on the street and drunkenly brought home with me? I didn't know. I couldn't remember. As I stood there, trying to get a grip on myself, I suddenly realized there was someone at the door. Instinctively, I walked into the living room and towards the door. Just as I was about to open it, I realized the danger of letting anyone into the apartment. I put my ear against the door and listened. I heard voices. Yours, Steve. And yours, Bert. <laughs> hey, Paul, open up. We want to say goodbye. Come on, Paul. Wake up, will you? We're leaving for California in 15 minutes. <laughs> I guess old Paul isn't in. Yeah. I wonder how he felt when he woke up. <laughs> Boy, what a head he must have had. <laughs> Still, I sure hate to leave without saying goodbye. Well, he has our California address. Yeah. He can write to us. Come on, or we'll miss that train. And they were both gone. And I dared to breathe again. I tried to think calmly. Figure out what to do. I knew I should call the police, but they... They might charge me with murder. And what defense could I offer? I thought of Marcia. The slightest scandal and everything would be off. Our marriage, my job, my future. I couldn't call the police. I couldn't call them. And sacrifice everything I'd worked for. Somehow I had to get the body out of my apartment, get rid of it before it was found. Then it came to me. My car was in the basement, garage. The dumbwaiter in the kitchen led down to the basement. I could put the dead man in the dumbwaiter, lower him to the basement, get him in my car, and then... Mr. Paul! Oh, Mr. Paul! It was Jenny, the cleaning woman. She'd let herself in with a key. I hurried into the living room, closing the bedroom door behind me. Oh, there you are. A fine time for a rising young lawyer to be getting up. Oh, hello, Jenny. I, I I, guess I overslept. I was at a party last night. A party, was it? Everyone on the campus is talking about it. And the complaints. 
Well, now step aside and let me into that bedroom. I got to start cleaning. Jenny, can't you come back later and do the place? No, I can't. Now get out of my way. Jenny, wait. I don't want you to clean up yet. Paul, what's wrong? Why, why are you blocking the door like that? Well, the truth of the matter is, one of the boys had a bit too much last night, and he's in my bedroom sleeping it off. Oh, well, get him out of there. Take him to a Turkish bath. Turkish bath. Oh, yes, that's that's a good idea. Look, Jenny, just give me half an hour to get him dressed and out of here. Then you can come back and clean up. A half hour or nothing. I'll give you exactly five minutes. All right, Jenny. I'll have him out of here by then. You'd better. She was gone. And I had five minutes. Just five minutes. I went into the bedroom and quickly went through the dead man's pockets. They were empty. There was no identification in them. The thin, pinched face told me he was a nobody. A derelict. Someone who might never be missed. As I was about to lift him off the bed, the phone rang. A shrill ring filled the room. Hello? Hello, darling. Marcia. How was your stag party last night? Did you miss me? Miss you? <laughs> you sound as though you have a dreadful hangover. Hangover? Oh, yes. Oh, excuse me a minute, Marcia. There's someone at the door. Yes? I'll be coming in to clean your room in another minute, Paul. Jenny. So get your friend out of there. Oh, yes, Jenny, yes. Just give me another minute and we'll be out of here. Marcia, I, I can't talk to you any longer. I'm in a hurry. Then you haven't forgotten your appointment with Father and myself at one o'clock. No, no, no. I may be a little late, but I'll be there. Paul, you mustn't be late. I've told you over and over what a stickler Father is for punctuality. He can't stand people who are late for appointments. Well, you recall how furious he was when you didn't I know, Marcia, but I... You have 45 minutes to shave, shower, and dress. That's plenty of time. And, Paul, wear your gray flannel suit with a blue knitted tie and be sure you're there. Yes, Marcia, yes, but I've got to hang up. Jenny will be coming back any minute that I... Well, what if she is? Now, darling, you haven't forgotten what we discussed yesterday afternoon. Yesterday afternoon? Yes. No, I know Father's brusque and inclined to bully people, but don't let it upset you. After all, it's our future. He's Marcia, I can't talk any longer. I've got to hang up. Jenny will be back. I've only seconds left. What in the world are you talking about? Now, when Father asks Marcia, I've you... got to hang up. I've got to. Goodbye. I hung up the phone. I wiped the sweat running down my face. It took only a moment to lift him off the bed, carry him into the kitchen, pull the dumbwaiter up and put his body into it. I closed the door to the dumbwaiter, ran out of the apartment and started down the stairs to the basement. I got down to the basement to find Ben, the janitor, leisurely pulling on the dumbwaiter rope. Ben! Oh, Ben! Oh, hello, Paul. If it's your car you're after, it's there by the door, all washed like you asked. Thanks, but Ben, stop a minute, will you? I, I want you to do something for me. Sure, Paul, just as soon as I've emptied this dumbwaiter... Will you stop blowing that dumbwaiter? Stop it! Here! Hey, what's wrong with you? You're acting mighty strange. I... I'm sorry, I... I shouted like that, Ben... It's just that there's a package up in my apartment that I'd like you to mail right away. There's a dollar in it for you. All right. But there ain't no need to rush. Today's Sunday. The post office is closed. Closed? Sure. Say, what's the matter with you anyway? Must be the heat. Uh, something awful heavy on this somewhere. Ben, wait, wait a minute. There's something else. How's that? Stop a minute, will you? How can I talk to you while you're lowering that dumbwaiter? Well, go ahead. I can hear everything you're saying. Let go of that rope. Let go of you hear it. Hey. You going crazy or something? I've half a mind to call a super and tell him why. No, 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 no. Don't do that. I. I. Ben. 
uh, up in my apartment, there's a bottle. Bottle? Yes, I, I brought it home last night. It's, it's half full. I wanted you to have it for cleaning the car. Oh, thanks. I sure appreciate that, Paul. Uh, I'll go up and get it as soon as I've emptied this somewhere. It's almost done now. But then Jenny just went in to clean. You know how she feels about drinking? Huh, Jenny? Jumping grasshoppers. Why didn't you say so? That woman will pour it all down the drain if I don't get there first. As soon as Ben disappeared up the stairs, I pulled the dumbwaiter the rest of the way down, opened the door, and he fell into my arms. Slinging the body over my shoulder, I staggered with it to my car and swiftly dropped him on the floor in the back. It was an old touring car. The top was long since gone. To hide the body from view, I, I covered it with an old blanket. A moment later, I started the motor and rolled smoothly out of the basement and into the driveway. As I did... I heard Ben shouting to me from my window. Oh, hey, Paul, wait a minute. I got something. I pretended not to hear Ben calling. Instead, I stepped on the gas. I was almost proud of myself as I drove past the campus. I was in trouble, but I was thinking fast, as a good lawyer should. I'd already decided I'd have to get rid of him by dumping him into the river. As I came to Main Street, driving neither too fast nor too slow... I turned left toward the river. There was very little traffic, and I was just about to speed up when behind me I heard a whistle blowing. It was Dugan, the town's only traffic cop, and he was blowing for me to stop. There was nothing to do but pull over to the curb. As Dugan hurried up to me, I realized I'd driven through a red light. Hello, Dugan. Never mind that hello, Dugan stuff. What's the matter, you colorblind? I, I, I'm sorry, Dugan. I, I just didn't notice the light. You just didn't notice the light. It's fine. I think you and me had better take a ride over to Justice Miller. Oh, look, don't run me in, Dugan. It won't happen again. That's what all you college cut-ups say. Next thing you know, you'll be telling me... What do you got there in the back? Underneath that blanket. Under the blanket? Heard me. What's under it? Boy, uh, that's Roy Hamilton, one of my classmates. Yeah, well, what's he lying on the floor under a blanket on a hot day like this for? Last night at our, our farewell shindig, Roy had a few too many. He's still out. I'm taking him home. Where does he live? At Mrs. Randolph's boarding house. What are you handing me? That's in the other direction. Yes, yes, I know, but first I'm taking him to the Turkish bath on Elm Street. Yeah, well, by the time you get him there, the poor guy will be dead. Ain't you got no sense? What do you mean? Look at the way you got the blanket over his head and in this heat, too. I better pull the blanket off his face so he can breathe. No, no, I... I mean, I covered his face on purpose. Suppose Dean Richards or somebody saw Roy like this. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Just the same, I better... I better... Hey, Constable! Constable, can I see you for a minute? I'll be right with you, Jensen. Johnson. Where were we, Baxter? Oh, yeah, the guy in the back. He's smothered to death if we don't move the... I'm coming, I'm coming! I won't run you in this time, Baxter, but from now on, stay awake when you're driving. I will, Dugan. And for Pete's sake, pull the blanket off that guy's head. Take it easy, Jensen. I'm coming. As I stepped on the gas, I muttered a prayer of thanks for old Johnson, the janitor of the medical school building, who had called Dugan just as he was reaching for the blanket that covered my passenger. It was a few minutes after one as I drove out of town. I could picture Marcia's father fuming in my lateness. The sun was scorching in my open car as I drove along River Road. 
looking for a place to hide the body. I needed one where there were trees to hide me. The hours that followed were like a nightmare. The heat was stifling and I could feel my hand shaking on the wheel from nervous tension. I drove and drove and drove, looking for a place to get rid of the body. But the whole countryside seemed to be swarming with people, families picnicking, Boy Scouts camping, kids in swimming, couples in parked cars. No matter where I turned, there was always someone in sight. Little spots danced before my eyes. Waves of faintness swept over me. My hand began to ache in my head, too. Unbearably. It was already long after three. I was late for my date with Marcia and her father. That didn't matter. Nothing mattered but to get rid of the body in the back of the car. I had to get rid of it. I had to. I drove, mile after mile, turning from one road to another, searching endlessly for a safe place to stop. Then I realized I was running out of gas. I saw a gas station ahead, and I decided to stop there. It was a risk, but I had to take it. Okay, mister. It's five gallons. Want me to check your oil? No, no, thanks. Uh, how much? Dollar fifteen. Whew, boy, it's hot, isn't it? Yes, it's hot all right. Here you are. That's one fifteen out of five. Now get your change. Hey, uh, this uh, rear tire looks a little flat. That's all right. You want me to check it? Won't take but a minute. It's all right, I tell you. Okay, mister, just you say... Uh, uh, your rear door is open. I better shut that for you. Leave that door alone. Ah, but, uh, you don't want to drive along with your rear door open. That's funny. There's, uh, something in the car jamming it. I better have a... Leave that door alone and get my train. But you... All right, mister. Just as you say. Get your change. He hurried into the station. I looked in the back of the car and saw what had kept the door from closing. It was a hand. His hand sticking out from under the blanket. The attendant had seen it. He would be phoning the police. I drove faster and faster. The police would be on the lookout for me now. My whole future depended on what I did in the next few minutes. And then it came to me. In one brief moment, it came to me. The perfect way to get rid of the body it was so simple, so perfect, that I laughed aloud with relief. <laughs> A half hour later, I was parked in an alley behind one of the university buildings. It was Sunday, and the place was deserted. Despite my fatigue and aching head, it took me but a moment to carry the body into the basement of the medical building and down the corridor to the basement room where the bodies for the dissecting classes were kept. <laughs> where does a wise man hide a leaf? In the forest. Where does a wise man hide a body? In the dissecting room. The room was big and cool and dimly lit. The far end was a long metal tank. I reached the tank and lowered him to the stone floor beside it. I had only to open the tank, slip him inside, and leave. 
I reached for the lid of the preserving tank and was about to open it when I heard a voice. Hey! Hey, who's in there? It was Johnson, the janitor. I quickly dropped behind the tank and waited, holding my breath. I heard you. Stop hiding and come out. I know you're here. I just saw your car through the window. You better come out if you know what's good for you. He'd seen my car. He knew I was in the room. But if I kept my head, there was a chance. Just a chance. All right, Johnson. Here I am. Baxter, eh? So it, it's you, is it? You're the one Johnson, who... wait a minute. Let me explain. Explain, huh? After last night, I'm not listening to any fancy stories. I'm the one who gets blamed when... What's that on the floor behind you there? On the floor? What? I nothing, Johnson. Do you think I'm blind or something? Step aside and let me see what... Why, it's a body. Yes. It's a body. So that's it. I thought you were trying to steal one. Instead, you were bringing it. Yes, I was bringing it. And just what were you going to do with that gentleman on the floor? Put him back in the tank with the rest? Yes, that's right. I I thought he might not be noticed. As if I wouldn't have known. Well, go on. Call the cops. Let's get it over with. Uh, all right, Baxter. Of course, the... I don't have to call the cops. Nobody knows about this but you and me. What? What do you mean? Well, I was going to make a report, but uh, this way there's no harm done. So I might be able to overlook the whole thing if I was persuaded properly. You might overlook it? Eh? Uh, mm-hmm, that's right. You just leave this fellow to me and there's no fuss because nobody's the wiser. You'd do that? You'd keep your mouth shut? I guess I could be persuaded to. How much? Hey. Well, uh, suppose we say $50. $50? That uh, isn't much, considering what would happen if I reported you. Well, no, no, it isn't $50. That's, that's just very cheap to help me cover up a murder. Murder? Uh, more of your jokes. I'm not talking about murder. I'm talking about putting number 37 here... Back in his proper place. Number 37? Yes, 37. He just came in yesterday from the county poor farm. And last night he disappeared. Stolen by you and your drunken friends. And dressed up for a joke. Well, I don't like jokes like that. I drove downtown a while back to tell Dugan the constable about it. But, well, I didn't tell him anything. It would mean trouble for me for... Being asleep on the job. Number 37. He was stolen from here last night. Aye, that's what I said. As long as you've brought him back, there's no harm done. That's why I'm willing to keep it quiet. Then, then I didn't kill him. It was just a joke somebody played on me. Just a practical joke. Here, 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 here. What's wrong with you? <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> it's a very good joke on me. This whole afternoon, driving. Driving in the heat, trying to get rid of him. It was just a joke. A joke! <laughs> For goodness sakes, he's fainted.
that's the story of what happened the day after our graduation party 12 years ago. When I came to, I was in the college hospital. I'd been unconscious a week. They, they said it was just a slight breakdown brought on by sunstroke. I was all right after a while, but somehow I, I wasn't interested in law anymore. Marcia and I didn't get married, and I didn't become her father's junior law partner. Good Lord, Paul. We never knew any of us. Gosh, Paul, I can't tell you how sorry I am. We never dreamed our gag would turn out like that. Your gag? Why, sure. See, after the party broke up that night, we were feeling pretty high, and... Well, it was a crazy idea, but we thought it would be funny to steal a cadaver from the medical college and leave it in your room with, with your knife in it. That it was you? The two of you? Well, yes, Paul. Gosh, I feel terrible about this. But Well, that day we left, we came up to your apartment to tell you about a little joke. Uh, only you weren't in. We had to rush for our train, but we phoned from the station. Ben, the janitor, answered, and we told him to explain about the cadaver. I, I heard him calling, but I, I it didn't stop. Paul, will you ever be able to forgive us for what happened? Forgive you? Forgive you? No! No, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you, do you hear? Kill you! Hey, wait a minute. No! Get him! I'm going to Bert, Bert, help me. Paul! Oh. Yeah. Oh, let him go! You're choking me! Go, help me! I kill you! I kill you! trying to kill me. Why, he sure was. He, he just went crazy. Well, I'm sure sorry this happened. See, he slipped away from the hospital this afternoon. We figured he'd head this way. The hospital? Yes. Poor fellow had a bad breakdown just after he graduated 12 years ago. He's been locked up ever since. Locked up? Yeah. He's always been perfectly harmless, though. He just went around all the time looking for a place to hide something. This is the first time he ever got violent. I can't figure out what came over him. And so the curtain falls on Summer Heat, which was chosen by guest expert Hugh Pentecost whose latest thriller, Where the Snow Was Red, will be published next month. We welcome your comments on tonight's story. All letters should be addressed to Murder by Experts, Care of Mutual Broadcasting System, New York 18, New York. Next week at this time, Murder by Experts brings you the story of a woman who pitted her wits against death. A story selected for your approval by Brett Halliday, creator of the rough, tough detective known as Mike Shane. Until then, 
This is your host, John Dixon Carr, saying good night. In our cast were Lawson Zerbe, Bryna Rayburn, Ian Martin, Cameron Andrews, Bill Zuckert, and Frank Behrens. Summer Heat by Andrew Evans was adapted for radio by Robert A. Arthur and David Cogan. Original music was composed by Richard LePage. The orchestra was conducted by Emerson Buckley. Murder by Experts is produced and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Cogan. All characters in this story were fictitious, and any resemblance to the names of actual persons was purely coincidental. Bill Tonkin speaking. This is the world's largest network serving more than 500 radio stations, the Mutual Broadcasting System. And now, Gangbusters! Gangbusters, presented in cooperation with police and federal law enforcement departments throughout the United States. The only national program that brings you authentic police case histories. Tonight's Gangbusters case. A special presentation. Inside Facts. Dramatized for the first time on the Battle of Alcatraz. Just one week ago, the law-abiding citizens of America, slowly recovering from four long years of war, were shocked to hear of a new battle on a 12-acre island in San Francisco Bay. The Battle of Alcatraz. So named in 1775 by the Spanish settlers of California, Isla de Alcatraces, the island of the pelicans, a heap of rocks jutting up into the Golden Gate, a mile and a half northeast of San Francisco's famous waterfront district. For nearly 100 years, the island of the pelicans has been a prison, first as disciplinary barracks for military offenders of the United States Army. For the last 13 years... The place of confinement selected by the United States Department of Justice for discipline, segregation, punishment of the most desperate and hopelessly incorrigible criminals. For 280 convicts, the rock is the last stop before hell. Last week, there was trouble on the rock. Five dead, 16 wounded. Was the revolt of the nation's most desperate criminals spontaneous? Was it the result of a moment's opportunity? Or was it the result of years of meticulous planning? Four years ago, in the summer of 1942, at another federal penitentiary on McNeil Island in the state of Washington, a veteran convict, a notorious dealer in accurate grapevine information, walked up to a guard who was on duty in the prison kitchen. You better get back to slicing those apples, Tom. 
Yeah, sure, but... Can I say a word to you, mister? Okay. What is it? Hey, look. I got the dope. You're up for a transfer to Alcatraz. You're going to be a guard on the rock. So what? You're headed for trouble. What gives you that idea? I wouldn't be telling you, except you've been a pretty square guy with us cards. Or maybe I can do you a favor. Don't take the job on the rock, mister. No? Why not? Don't take it, that's all. It's going to be a big break there. It'll be a long time coming, but when it does, it'll be a regular massacre. A massacre? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. A massacre on the rock? Impossible. Alcatraz is escape-proof. Silence at all times in the cell house. Cell bars of tool-proof alloys. Photoelectric cells that detect even the smallest pin. Machine guns. Concrete walls. A 20-foot cyclone fence topped with barbed wire. Then the water. A mile of treacherous tidal currents, you see. Alcatraz is escape-proof. What makes you think so, bud? Let me tell you something. That con up at McNeil Island has the right dope. He ought to get a knife between the ribs for cracking his yet. Shut up, will you? I'm telling this guy something. Okay, okay. You see, this big building is right next to the water. We figure once we get out and take care of the tower guards, we'll have our pick of the boats at the dock. Oh, you're wasting your time. No one escapes from Alcatraz. You couldn't even begin. Wasting our time, huh? We got lots of it to waste. What's time? And where can we begin? Show him the handkerchief. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. See that handkerchief? That little rag. That's what we'll use to crank out of Alcatraz. That's what'll whip your machine guns and the steel bars and the electric eyes. We'll tie a knot in the handkerchief. We'll use it to reach through the bars and pick up a pair of pliers from a workman's kit. Oh, it'll take time, lots of time. But we got plenty of time. And with the pliers, we loosen some plumbing. And when we get ready to use the pipes, we put them all together with the pliers. And we got a nice little gadget that spreads bars like they was paper. Also a nice little gadget to bump some guards over the skull. Okay. So here's how we got it figured. You see, this big cell house has four cell blocks. A, B, C, and D running the whole length of the building. Now, the only guy with guns is a guard that walks in what they call a gun gallery. And this gun gallery runs across the end of the cell house. It's really a catwalk stuck on the end of the building, but separated from the cell tiers by iron bars. Well, this guard walks back and forth in the gun gallery looking things over. We take care of this guard. Sitting pretty. Don't forget about the guns. Yeah. This guard is always carrying a rifle, a sweet little 45 automatic. Now, Bernie Coy and another con got the job sweeping up the corridors between the cell block and the gun gallery. Once in a while, Coy manages to climb up and give the bars to the gun gallery a little spread so they can squeeze through. And the idea is get the guns and stick up the floor guards who got no guns. And it's all set. I guess it's around two in the afternoon that they're going to squeeze through and lay for this guard. It was a tight squeeze, Coy. I didn't think you'd make it. I did, didn't I? 
Oh, you have been waiting for this? As soon as the guard passes, I'll grab him, slug him, and I'll grab his guns. Shh, he's coming. Now, hey, slug him, right? I'll get the cell block keys and let you other guys out. You got him? Got the keys? Ah, I got the keys. Hey, get his guns, too. I'm going to make it all right. I'll let Tretz and you other guys out. Okay, come on. Shut up, you guys. Shut up. Okay, we'll get the key to the outside door. Tell me how much of the thing's cooked, I say. All right. He counted on his guard having the key to let us outside the cell house. Okay, he didn't. But we got his guns and we got a fighting chance. Well, I ain't giving up. Me neither. Okay. All right, would you? How do we wake it? All right. He makes a noise, see, and the other guards will come running. They won't expect nothing. Yeah, one of them ought to have the outside keys. A dozen or more dangerous criminals now have the appetizer to their meal of freedom. They are out of their cells and armed. But without the keys to the outside door, their chances of full freedom are hopeless, and they know it. In the meantime, the four o'clock shift of guards is in a locker room in the same building adjacent to the troubled Celsius. Changing into their uniforms, about to go on duty. These relief guards who carry no guns have no idea that a score or more desperate convicts are free and armed on the other side of a heavy steel door. Hold it, fellas. Huh? Quiet. Just a minute. Well, what's up, Harry? Shh. Hear that noise through the door? Yeah. From the cell blocks. Yeah. Come on. Let's have a look. All right. I'll get the door. Hey, it's quieted down. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Hey, look. This first cell. It's empty. Hey, watch it. Watch it. They're loose. Right into the cell. Oh, they got me again. All right, the rest of you. Act dead. Open that cell door, Coy. Okay. If those guards got the keys, how do you guys start searching them? They all look dead. Well, search them. If we're getting out, we need those keys. Hey, this one's still kicking. Let me add him. Hey, you. Give me the keys of the outside. I have no keys. Oh, you haven't. That's for not having the keys, and this is for nothing. Hey, Cresser. Yeah? The other guys ain't got no keys either. Huh? Oh, looks like we're cooked, guys. Maybe we've got a quarter quits. Well, what do the rest of you guys say? No, no, no. Okay, we fight it out. We can't get out one way, we'll take the other, right? How long would you quit? Head up, boy, Thompson. Who else? Help me in. Okay. Let's think this out a little. From the warden, United States Penitentiary, Alcatraz Island, to the United States Navy, Coast Guard, and San Francisco Police Department. Serious trouble has broken out. Convicts are armed and at large in the cell house. I have issued a riot call and placed armed guards at strategic locations. 
Most of our officers are imprisoned in the cell house. 3.18 p.m. To the Commandant, San Francisco Naval Base. Subject, Alcatraz Riot. One, dispatch immediately one company U.S. Marines to assist Warden, United States Penitentiary, Alcatraz Island. Two, assign all available patrol craft to surround and maintain constant vigilance, Alcatraz Island. Signed, Commandant, 12th Naval District. All Thursday night, May 2nd, the traces of the attackers and the ping of bullets of the besieged streak the sky over the Golden Gate. The battle rages without let-up. Residents of San Francisco lined the waterfront to see firsthand what they had heard in the special broadcasts and in the papers. People throng in fascination, for death is the label on each of the bullets which line the sky in blood red. On the Great Golden Gate Bridge, a sailor and his girl edged to the railing. What are those red streaks? Fireworks? Those are the bullets, baby. Tracer bullets. Gee, there are a lot of them. I don't understand it. If they haven't got a chance, what are those convicts fighting for? I don't know, baby. They probably figure they'll get electrocuted or something anyhow, so maybe they'd rather do it this way. I wonder who they are. Not very nice to know. I guarantee you that. You know, I feel kind of sorry for them. Well, anyway, all those tracer bullets and everything, it's pretty. Yes, young lady, very pretty. And who are the men, those prisoners of other men, decent men? Who are those convicts trying to blast their way to a freedom that could mean nothing but more violence and more bloodshed? Those men for whom you feel kind of sorry. Listen. Joseph Paul Kretzer, murder. They also robbed banks, 15 or 16, I forget which. Myra and Edgar Thompson. I killed a cop. Morris Franklin Hobbit. Me, I shot a cop too. Kidnapped another one. Bernard Ball Coy. I'm on the rock for robbing a bank. This is my fourth time over. Lawrence Kahn, murderer, kidnapper. Sam Shockley, kidnapper, bank robber, escape artist. Those are six of the men. Six of the ringleaders, six desperate killers. In a moment, you'll learn how they came to be inmates of the Rock. Now, back to Gangbusters and tonight's special dramatization of the Battle of Alcatraz. The list of 280 Alcatraz convicts recalls murder, bank robbery, kidnapping with each name. High up the list, and the murderer of Alcatraz guard, William H. Miller, stands... Joseph Paul Kretzer, Alcatraz, number 548. Wanted on warrants, charging more than a dozen bank robberies, Kretzer and a woman companion sped through the streets of Michigan City, Indiana, on the early morning of June 7, 1939. Cops. Aren't you going to make a run for us? Me run from the cops? <laughs> We're not going to let him take you. Watch. Give me that gun. I get it. 
Here he comes. Let's go, baby. Right. Do you think you killed him? I don't know, and I don't care. But every cop we meet is going to learn the same thing. Joe Crutcher's one guy, they're never going to stop. The Federal Bureau of Investigation traced Kretzer through acquaintances of this gun mall to an apartment on Chicago's north side and arrested him. He was sent to McNeil Island Penitentiary for 25 years. A year or so later, he escaped, but was recaptured. With his accomplice, Kretzer was in the anteroom of federal court in Tacoma, awaiting trial for escape. Be here for us in a minute, Kyle. Yeah, Kretzer? Look, I ain't going back to no solitary. No? There'll be two of them. You take one and I'll take the other. Go for the guns. Hey, look, Kretzer, that's suicide. I'm so not... what? It's better than rotting away the rest of your life. Okay, I'm with you. Shh, shh, shh. Come on. All right, Kretzer. All right, let's go. Okay, okay, don't rush it. Now! All right, I'm safe. What do you get them? They got no guns. All right, let's go. Right. and his companion got only to the end of the corridor. There they were subdued by other federal officers. The United States Marshal, struck down by Kretzer, was killed by a blow to the head. Thus, Joseph Paul Kretzer came to Alcatraz for life, for murder. Bernard Paul Coy, number 415. I'm Coy. I'm a bank robber who didn't like being caught. They sent me to Leavenworth for 25 years. They expected me to sit down and wait those 25 years. I showed those guys I was too tough for Leavenworth. Thus, Bernard Paul Coy came to Alcatraz. Marvin Franklin Hubbard, number 645. I'm Hubbard. I broke out of prison three times in Oklahoma and Idaho. The last time a cop tried to stop us near Chattanooga, Tennessee. Instead of the cop taking us in, we took the cop along. Then we ran into a bunch of cops. I shot one, but they nabbed us. Thus, Marvin Franklin Hubbard came to Alcatraz. Myron Edgar Thompson. Number 729. I'm Thompson. I killed a cop. I kidnapped three people, and I broke out of jail eight times. You ever hear of Blackie Thompson? Well, he was a Texas bad man. He was my brother, see? The cops at Amarillo got him. I hate Amarillo cops. Yes, Myron Thompson claimed Blackie Thompson as his brother and swore vengeance on the Amarillo police. About a year ago, shortly after his last jailbreak, Thompson and a companion were driving toward Amarillo. See that curve right ahead there? Yeah, what about it, Thompson? Right there is where my brother Blackie Thompson was killed by the Amarillo cops. Yeah? Yeah. He shot the tires off his car... He jumped out, but the cops mowed him down. He had 30 slugs in him. Laying right there. I hate cops. But I hate Amarillo cops most. And 
one of them's in for the surprise of his life. Standing by our car, Thompson. He's a cop, all right. And I'm a really cop. Here, just keep going. We'll walk right up to him. Just a moment, you two. Oh, you, you speaking to us? You strangers here in Amarillo, aren't you? Oh, I, sure. Is this your car? Well, we borrowed it from a friend. It's got stolen plates on it. Oh, it has. Turn around. <laughs> I got no gun. We'll see about that. Hey, see, I, I told you. Yeah. You'll have to go up to headquarters anyway. Answer a few questions. Okay. Anything you say. Headquarters only up about three blocks. Uh, Amarillo seems to be a pretty good little town. Yeah, nice folks in this town. This like... is a pistol in your ribs, copper. Where'd you get that gun? I got it, that's all. And I hate Amarillo cops. I got the wheel. Good. I'll shove them out, Cotton. Look, you dumped it right in front of the police station. Hey, I thought he searched you. Yeah, he did. He didn't find that pistol. Go on, give it the gas. Yeah. Well, Amarillo cop kills Blackie. And I kill... Never really count. A short time later, Myron Edgar Thompson kidnapped a young woman and two servants and transported them across the New Mexico state line where he was apprehended. Thus, Myron Edgar Thompson came to Alcatraz. Those are the ringleaders, the desperate criminals who control most of the inside of Alcatraz's impregnable cell house. Armed with a variety of weapons. Two hundred odd prisoners not participating in the revolt are herded into the prison yard under the guard of the machine guns of the United States Marines. Navy and Coast Guard boats patrol the island. Join the Navy and see the world. Yeah, and look at us. We circle Alcatraz so many times, I'm dizzy already. And you'd think those cons would have better sense. They know they ain't got a chance. Yeah, they remind me of the Japs, in a way. Yeah? Oh, there they go again. Oh, look at them traces. You take my word for it, I'm glad I'm not up on that rock. I had enough people shooting me the last four years. Morning on Friday, the entrenched convicts are still holding out. The order is given to drill holes in the roof of the cell house over cell block D, built as escape proof, but conversely, proving attack proof. Through the roof, Alcatraz guards and Pacific veterans of the United States Marine Corps drop hand grenades. Hey, 
getting pretty hot, boys. Yeah, I told you we shouldn't go through it. Yeah, this is better than the electric chair. You can say that again, Kretzer. Hey, outside the window. Get the feet on him. Good shot. Hey, hey. that grenade was close. So close. The battle continues with varying intensity all Friday night. But Saturday morning dawns quietly over Alcatraz. The lull continues. It is deathly still. Shortly after noon, Saturday, May 4th, it is decided to storm the bastion. Armed guards, some flown in from Leavenworth and McNeil Island. Volunteers from San Quentin approach a steel door. None knows what inferno awaits him on the other side of that steel door. All right. Open it up. All right. And they start shooting, men. Jump for cover. Okay. Let's go. Guns ready. There's one. Flop. <laughs> He's not moving. I'll crawl up to him. It's Kretzer. He's dead. There's two more dead. Hey, stop! We surrender! We give up! We give up! We give up! We surrender! We surrender! Quiet, all of you. All right, march out of here with your hands over your head. And then when you try the trick, you'll get shot. Now, come out. Thus ends the Battle of Alcatraz. Casualties. Five dead. Sixteen seriously wounded. The dead, William H. Miller, guard. Lieutenant Harold P. Stites, guard. Joseph Paul Kretzer, convict. Bernard Paul Coy, convict. Marvin Franklin Hubbard, convict. At least three other convicts face execution on charges of murder. A week later, Alcatraz Island, an establishment of the United States government for the confinement and punishment of the most dangerous criminals, with no attempt at rehabilitation, is quiet. At any time, anywhere, when you were buying a fountain pen or when you were buying ink, always look for the name Waterman. Gangbusters is a Phillips H. Lord production. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That's Case Closed for this week, but there's more murder by experts, gangbusters, past episodes of Case Closed, and all kinds of old-time radio at relicradio.com. 
There's also a shoutcast stream with even more old-time radio, all available for free thanks to your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. We've got some downloadable sets for certain donation amounts, though any amount is always helpful and appreciated. Thank you, as always, to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back again next Wednesday with another episode of Case Closed. Thank you.